153. Uh, we're continuing our series in 1 Corinthians, uh, trying to figure out what does a Christ-centered church look like. As you're making your way there, let me pray for us and seek God's help in understanding what we come to tonight. Our Father, what a privilege, again, to be reminded earlier in our service of that prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ that we may be one as a church family together. And we pray that as we consider this text, Lord, which explores in some depth that, that very matter, we pray you would help us to be attentive. We pray that you would convict us by your Holy Spirit where necessary and enable us by your Holy Spirit to ch make the changes that we need to make, Lord, in order to be the kind of people whose unity makes the world know that you sent your son into this world and that you love this world. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, reading from verse 12. This is what God's word says to us tonight. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of, uh, of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? 
are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Amen. This is God's word. Well, I remember when I was growing up, sitting down in front of my 4-3 box set TV, uh, thicker than a car in those days, uh, watching a Bupa advert. Uh, The Bupa advert, which said, the most amazing machine on the planet can run on any terrain. It was very dramatic. It has hundreds of miles of electric circuitry, over a thousand moving parts. It can withstand impact that would dent steel plates and repair its own bodywork without leaving a mark. It can travel for miles on two cups of water. And then it comes up, the tagline, you're amazing. And we want you to stay that way. It's a great advert. I was seven. I wanted to sign up for Booper right then. It's great. Sign me up. The human body is amazing though, isn't it? Have you thought about it? Uh, this is one of the benefits of, of, of looking back, I think, over my degree, my first degree um, back at university when I first started studying. It was incredible to study some physiology and anatomy as part of that course. And the body is remarkable, each part remarkable in its own way. I mean, take the liver, for example. This is amazing. Did you know that if I operated on your liver and cut away two-thirds of it, it would regenerate within two to three months to about 90% of that liver. Isn't that incredible? I think that's incredible. I'm not going to operate on your liver, by the way. I I just realized I just didn't word that quite right, did I? (laughs) No, I never operated on anyone. Uh, What about DNA? We've been uh, looking at the Christianity Explored course together in our home groups, and and one of the bits at the start of the the first DVD, when Rico was standing up there saying, you're amazing, I think he got it from Bupa, Um, he's he's saying, what about DNA? If the DNA from a single human cell, one cell, was stretched out, it would measure six feet in length. Isn't that amazing? I, I think that's amazing. One cell. If all the DNA from all the cells in your body then were placed end to end, it would stretch all the way to the moon and back again 8,000 times. The Christianity Explored boy down here is actually repeating this word for word. He's memorized the whole DVD. But here's the incredible thing. The body is magnificent. It is incredible in its design. But... Each and every single part relies on another part of the body or a body system for it to function. Such is its interdependency. So the circulatory system relies on the respiratory system for oxygen delivery. The respiratory system relies on the the muscular system for inhalation and exhalation. The skeletal system relies on the muscular system for mobility. It's incredible. That's why whenever one part malfunctions, it affects the whole. If your kidney's packing, you're not going to be able to carry on as normal. As Andy said a couple of weeks ago, if you stub your toe and hurt your, you know, you hurt your toe, you hurt your foot, it's going to affect the whole body, even as you limp. 
And all of this serves to explain for us and highlight for us. It's just a perfect example of why in this discussion of what a church looks like and what unity looks like within a body of believers in a local church congregation, why the body is just such a perfect illustration of what God has called us to be. He takes in this letter of 1 Corinthians these simple facts about the human body and illustrates some fundamental deep truths about the church. Now we know that in 1 Corinthians, as we've studied it so far, that there is division in this body. There are people who are separating along lines of celebrity. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I I follow Peter, etc. Then there has been some division that we've seen in recent weeks over social class, social standing, things like that. Different, perhaps different ethnicities as well with Jews and Greeks coming together in this congregation. So Paul has been pushing hard to remind them of the fact that they are one body. And that's the first thing we see in verses 12 to 13. Look with me. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, it says. So the basic message of this is we are to live as one. The church, as the body of Christ, is to be one unit, even though it's made up of many different people from many different backgrounds with lots of different operating functions, different gifts, etc. Given by God, we are fundamentally one. One. We're not separated into systems here. We're one. What is the basis of our unity? How are we actually one, united to, uh, with one another? Well, Paul's already told us earlier in this chapter uh, that we're saved by the same confession, Jesus is Lord. We've expressed that through faith. We're indwelt by the same spirit. And now he says that we are members of the same body. It's what verse 13 reinforces where he says, we were all baptized into one body. Now, that word baptism isn't actually talking about the kind of baptism we saw this morning. It's talking about conversion. Uh, baptism and conversion were at times interchangeable words in some parts of the text so he's talking about conversion here but the basic message is that we are called to be one and I wonder if that's how you think of our church family here at Charlotte Chapel Uh, do you consider yourself to be one with others who are gathered and committed to this local body of believers we can look around every Sunday And I I, I love it. I love the fact that we see a diverse group of people. Different backgrounds, etc. But do we see ourselves really as a body? Do we operate in that way? I think it's a very, very serious question to consider. But I feel that sometimes this body mentality that Jesus wants for us, as we saw in John 17, and that the Apostle Paul wants for us, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12, is replaced by some kind of club mentality, especially in a church of this size. But Paul says, you're a family, you're a unit, you are one. Now, I'm sure maybe you've been a member of a club of some form. Uh, when, I was, when I was a younger teenager, I was a member of a taekwondo club. Why is that funny? Oh dear. Uh, A group of people, we would get together, (laughs) I don't know why, every Saturday morning, and uh, we'd gather together to do the same things. We'd smile politely at one another, 
as we waited for the meeting to start, we'd, we'd exercise together, do the things that Taekwondo people do, um, spar with one another and things like that. And, and when we were done, it would be a cordial see you next week. It was lovely to see you. And, you know, if we bumped into that person in the center at Livingston, you know, we would, we would stop. We would say hi. It would be a cordial discussion. It would be nice. But no one would have ever have thought to have said that everybody in the Taekwondo club up in Livingston were one. You know, that would have been a bit scary if someone had come up and started saying that. And you might be glad of your training in Taekwondo in that regard. It, it wasn't the fact that we were one body. It's just fundamentally that we shared a, a, a common interest. But this is not a club, this local church, where we share merely a common interest. There is way, way more that has happened in our lives based on our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to make us more than just a group of people who gather together on a Sunday with a common interest. We are united by faith to Christ our head. And by virtue of that, we are united to his people. Brothers and sisters, yes, across the world, but manifesting and meeting and carrying out all these New Testament biblical functions as a local body of believers, gathering together, committing to care for one another, to love one another, to carry one another's burdens, to rebuke one another when necessary. We are one. It's not a common interest. We're one, vitally interconnected, vitally interdependent. The body's not meant to be fractured, dislocated, or torn. That's painful for the body, the human body that is, and it's painful for the church. In fact, the body is one to the point that if one part malfunctions, it does affect the whole. As I've mentioned, that's exactly what we see in verses 14 to 26. If the body... If we are called in the first few verses to be one body, in verses 14 to 26, you essentially have two diseases, two maladies, uh, two viruses, you might say, that have uh, infected, invaded this body and affected the whole. Two ways that church members in Corinth were either dislocating themselves from a body or carelessly ignorant about losing a part of the body. Let's look at the first one. Here's the first malady, the first virus, if you like, that works against this unity of the body that Paul is calling us to. And it's feelings of uselessness. It's feelings of, in some ways, of inferiority, where people say, I am not needed. If you look with me at verses 15 to 16, here Paul has in mind the person perhaps with a less noticeable gift, not someone who has a particularly upfront gift, if you like, comparing himself with the person who maybe does have more of an upfront gift. And then, as a result of some kind of comparison, feeling like they have no gift at all. In verse 15, the person who has a foot is gutted that he has not a hand and feels like he doesn't really belong. In verse 16, the person who has an ear who feels like they don't belong simply feel like they don't belong simply because they're not an I. Such a person feels inferior to others. Such a person feels useless, in fact, in themselves. And this is how some were feeling in Corinth at this time, where there was such a massive 
overemphasis placed on spectacular gifts, if you like, ecstatic gifts, particularly the biggie in the book of 1 Corinthians, the biggie in the church in Corinth was the whole speaking in tongues thing. People who were declaring that this particular language, that people could, could, uh, could pray, that, that this was the real mark of super spirituality. And actually, if you didn't speak t- in tongues, then, then, well, there was questions whether or not you were actually a believer. You were certainly less spiritual than others. And with this, unfortunately, some felt inferior. Well, if the church is a body, they might have said, I am, I am the appendix. You know, it, I, I may not be needed. Actually, the appendix get bad press, but never mind. That's a different sermon. A very different sermon, actually, altogether. Uh, and probably not really a sermon at all. Uh, can you tell us in my third sermon of the weekend? Yes. Uh, it's, uh, okay, I, I wonder then, for those who feel useless in the church in, in Corinth, can you associate with them in any respect? Do you ever feel that way yourself? Actually, this church would get on fine without me. Or maybe if you're a visitor with us, you think that your church could get on fine without you. Do you ever think, do you know what? I, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I feel like I'm not really needed. Or I've got the gift of administration, but I'm not gifted to teach. Therefore, I mustn't be as important as person A over there. Well, Paul offers uh, quite a stunning response, really. Three quick things in response. He's to demonstrate, actually, you guys, if you're thinking like along these lines, it really is a malady. It really is a disease, a virus. If you think of yourselves as useless, you're not thinking straight at all. In fact, he says, you're not thinking straight, first of all. You're out of sync with reality. This is what he says in verses 15 and 16. Just because you say, I do not belong, uh, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. So to say that you're not needed is simply not true. Paul is basically saying, fundamentally, you are believing a lie. You might well look at someone and conclude that you are useless, but your conclusion is wrong. It is wrong. If you're a part of the body of Christ, you have a gift given from God to use. Remember what verse 7 says, to each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So it's not for selfish use, it's for the common good. So the first thing he says, you're not thinking straight, you're out of sync with reality. Just because you say that doesn't mean it's true, you're believing a lie. Second thing, verse 18, you're not thinking straight. Diversity is essential within any local body of believers, just as it's essential within a human body. The eye may well be an important part of that local body, for example, But the foot is just as essential. And in verse 17, Paul launches into this really humorous picture, isn't it? Of like a giant eye rolling down the street uh, or or a massive lug. You know, it's it's a ridiculous image really to, to point out though a ridiculous error in the believer's view on spiritual gifts. Just because you don't have a gift that is as prominent as a hand or an eye doesn't mean that you're useless. Your glomerulus doesn't get much press, does it? No, hardly any of you know what it is. I had to look it up. But you need, to fil- you need it to filter out toxins and waste from your body. This body is made up of different members who are uniquely wired. Get this, uniquely wired. And get this, uniquely 
placed to form a unique function within each local body of believers. So to say, I am not useless, is again to, to say something that is just not true. Every one is important. That's the second thing. Third response from Paul, verse 18, you're not thinking straight, you're forgetting who designed this body. And this is the big hitter, isn't it? This is the most important remedy of the three Paul offers for those who would say, I'm useless. Verse 18, but in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body. Every one of them, for emphasis, just as he wanted them to be. So you see, the thing that's necessary for the person who feels like they're not needed in the church is to remember that whatever gift God has given you was given to you deliberately, uniquely wired, uniquely placed to perform a unique function. He thought about it. He planned it. God does not do things by, in, in a random way. And he placed you where you should use it in unique service alongside others in a church family for the common good. So brothers and sisters, to say I'm useless is the same as going to God and saying, God, you got it wrong. Brothers and sisters, if you feel this way, ask God to search your heart. Show you if the, ask God to show you if there's perhaps some jealousy in your heart or envy in your heart. Perhaps even, if I may be bold, self-pity in some way. Perhaps you would rethink the view that says that God is not sovereign, wise, or good. For he is. He's planned it. He's planned you deliberately. How encouraging that we are uniquely wired by God, uniquely placed by God to perform a unique, a unique function for God and his glory within a local body of believers. You know, I fear for those who feel this way, who feel useless, please do come and talk to us about it. Maybe it's something you want someone to pray with you about, someone to talk to you about these kind of things. It's an important thing to consider because fundamentally feeling useless you're one step away from cutting yourself off from fellowship. And if you do that, then I fear that you might not actually be a believer. Because believers gather together. No one is useless. Everyone important. Each one important. As it is, there are many, there are many parts, Paul says, but one body. One body. That's how he addresses the first malady, the first virus of uselessness. The second one, second virus or malady in verses 21 to 26, is, we see is almost the opposite really, isn't it? Self-sufficiency. So if some misunderstanding about diversity of gifts in, in one body can lead to one person feeling inferior within that body, then it can lead to a whole bunch of other people feeling superior within a local body. Feelings of superiority are evident by those who say, I don't need you. And that's what we see in verse 21, isn't it? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. 
Now, no doubt, some people in the church in Corinth were endowed with the kind of gifts that made them more upfront, or they were more in the limelight in some regards. It seems that these are the ones that Paul is addressing. They seem to think that some members are dispensable, that some members are not as important as they are. But what we should see here is that this kind of thinking restricts the effectiveness of the body. You cannot possibly look across the room in a local church gathering, even like this, and conclude that person has no real contribution to make. We can get along fine without them. That is dangerous. Paul responds again with three sharp responses in verses 22 to 24. On the contrary, he says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Now, now Paul, don't miss this, Paul is being very, very sensitive here. Uh, in that church in Corinth, and in this church, in fact in any church, there are those who are, let's say, stronger in their faith than others. There are those we hope and pray that, that are people who are newly converted. Uh, people where it takes time, doesn't it, this thing called sanctification. Perhaps there are st- still some, some things that the Holy Spirit is working on in their lives And that's why he puts them in local bodies like this. There are some who are stronger in their faith than others. They have greater maturity. That's evident, of course, in the fact that we, we don't have brand new believers becoming elders, for example. But it seems that some members of the church in Corinth were weaker in their faith. And this became almost grounds for a, a dismissiveness by those who felt superior in comparison. But Paul says, the apparent strength. In other words, you need to question even your estimation and your assessment of where people are at. The apparent strength or the apparent level of giftedness is no indicator. Your opinion is no indicator of another person's significance and certainly does not justify your dismissiveness. No, in fact, Paul is saying, if anyone is struggling or weak in their faith, they should be treated with special honor and dignity in much the same way that we give special attention to covering up the more unpresentable parts of our body. But just because we don't show these unpresentable parts in public, let's face it, doesn't mean that they're not necessary. They're very necessary, in fact, So that's the first thing he says. You're not thinking straight. Those who seem weaker, those who seem unpresentable are vital. They are necessary. Understand that. The second thing he says is, you're not thinking straight. God has combined the members of the body. He has orchestrated this arrangement not to prompt jealousy or dismissiveness or anything else that might lead to some kind of division or fracture within that fellowship. But as verse 25 says, so that we might care for one another. It's not a competition. It's about care. 
It's not one-upmanship in terms of giftedness. It's diversity so that, wow, look how equipped we are. We're not designed to live independently of one another. Do you realize this? This is why church membership is absolutely vital. Who in this room and in this local body of believers do we know to care for? Who do we know to love? Who are we responsible for? Who are we to watch out for and encourage and love if we will not commit together to this local body of believers? How can we ever hope to have the kind of relationship where we are so close that if one part suffers, we feel that suffering? Or if one part rejoices, we share that happiness? We've just finished our last baptismal uh, membership classes and really if you're not a member you should consider coming along to the next one. Thinking seriously about it. If you're interested, fill in the connect card, tick the box, membership. It would be a joy. A joy. Even if you've been around this church for two or 20 years, it doesn't matter. Please don't feel any embarrassment. It would be to our encouragement to say, yeah, we're here. We're committed together. Actually, I would love us to have a church covenant together where even before the Lord's Supper, every time we share it, we stand and express our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and our commitment to look out for one another. It's just another expression of that. So Paul says, you guys are not thinking straight. God has combined these members of the body together. Again, it's part of his design. So for those who think they're self-sufficient to say, I don't need this one. It's to say again, God, you got it wrong. It's not very wise of you. Not very wise of you to bring that person here. They're kind of unnecessary. The third thing he says, you're not thinking straight. And here's what he's tackling the tongue speakers in particular. Tongue speakers are not to think of themselves more highly than they ought. That's what you see in verses 27 to 29, actually. Here's what Paul does here. Do you see this? He writes, he writes down this whole list. Right, he reminds him, verse 27, first of all, he gives him that, that punch again. Get this. He keeps repeating this. Get this. Now you, now, listen, you are the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. And then he lists these gifts and puts, notice this, the gift of tongues at the bottom. At the bottom. People in Corinth, remember, had elevated this gift as be some kind of superior gift. A sign of super spirituality. Paul places it at the bottom. His main point about this body, one body being made up of this many necessary parts then, is driven home in verse 29. Where he's asking the question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? What's the answer to each and every one of those questions? No. Of course not. Of course not. We should resist any suggestion that we should have all the same gifts as some would do. 
as some would do. We should resist that suggestion, as some were saying in Corinth. We were not meant to be the same, but different. Each one playing a vital part, contributing to the whole. That's why Paul keeps on saying again and again and again, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is a body, not a club. This is a family of faith. Where God says, love me, love my people. It's a package deal. You don't get one without the other, fundamentally. So what does this look like for us? You might think, well, that's great. You stand up there saying all this kind of stuff, but I've got a gift and it's never been used, never been identified. I encourage you to share with us what you think that is. I encourage you to look for opportunities to serve in the life of this church. It doesn't need to be something programmatic, you understand. You don't need to wait for some kind of vacancy to come up within a ministry, if you like, although there are many. It may be the case that the way in which you serve and utilize your particular gift is in an informal way that isn't necessarily seen in a ministry-type environment, though it is full-on, proper ministry for you to have the gift of encouragement to be wandering that lounge downstairs after the service speaking to one or two different people lifting their hearts and buoying them up in their faith with your words you see it doesn't need to be formal ministry setting in fact that can work against us at times if we just have some kind of rota mentality perhaps the use of gifts in a church the size of Charlotte Chapel is a particular struggle for us that means that we all need to work together. Whether it's leaders, whether it's those who are serving in leadership of particular ministries, whether it's those who are members of the church but actually haven't served in any particular way, it feels more like a club coming along, common interest, doing the Sunday thing and leaving. And again, this is where the importance of membership and commitment to a small group is essential. How can you serve? How can you prevent yourself from being the kind of person who says, I'm useless, I'm not needed? Or perhaps, how do you prevent yourself from being the kind of person who feels self-sufficient, superior, saying, we're getting along just fine? Each one has a gift to be used for the common good. And I pray we would do so in honor of our God. If you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. Um, we don't always get this right, but it's our desire to get this right, to be one. For the very reasons that Jesus prayed for in John 17 that we read from earlier. His prayer was that his people would be united that they would be one body. That the kind of division that we see in society based on earnings and social standing and classes or based on ethnicity and race and, and things like that are completely quashed. This should be the place in the world 
where there is not any kind of where there is no discrimination whatsoever. We are called to be one. We're called to be united in order to let you know. If you're not a believer, this is what it's for. To let you know that one, God sent the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. And two, that you should know the reason why he sent him into the world. That is because God loves the world. Isn't that what we see in John 3.16? One of the most famous verses in the Bible. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But to save the world through him. So our unity is not just about keeping the local church family happy. It's about offering a witness. As the body of Christ. His representative people here on this earth. To let you see who he is. And to let you know the love that he offers to each and every one of you who believe so that you will not perish but have everlasting life. He came as a savior not to condemn but he asks us to repent of our sin and trust in him. Have you? We pray you would. We pray you would turn from sin and turn to Christ our savior and we pray that you would join this church and commit with us sharing together this love that we are called to have for one another in unity, displaying God's glory to the nations. Let's pray together. Our Father, I thank you so much.